0: Welcome to Humanity Unlocked, where we know that listening to someone's story with an intent to gain insight is an important key in unlocking each person's humanity. Your host, Kimberly, is known for her profound curiosity in human behavior, giving her a long-standing reputation for being a deeply engaged and exceptional listener. Each one of us has a unique origin story that helps to explain the unfolding of the path we've traveled.
1: When the story gets told, it provides a glimpse into the context and nuances that we, the listeners, may have otherwise never considered. Join Kimberly as she embarks
0: on the journey of a lifetime to unlock and reveal the humanity of every person she
1: meets. Here's Kimberly. Welcome back to Humanity Unlocked. I am your host, Kimberly Dia, and today our guest is someone who I immediately knew I'd want to have on when I launched the idea for the podcast. His name is James. James is a 38-year-old husband and father to an 11-year-old his his 11-year-old daughter. He is also a realtor at Mark's Brokerage, my husband's brokerage. But James doesn't look like your stereotypical realtor. Far from it, actually. Uh, For those who don't know him, I'll attempt to paint a picture for you. With approximately 165 pounds of lean muscle, James is covered in both tattoos and piercings. If someone were to judge him based solely on his appearance, you might say James is a perfect picture of toxic masculinity, but you would be wrong. His story, which we will get into today, today, is one that started off almost immediately on the wrong foot. Born into an alcoholic and abusive family, James clawed his way through his adolescent and teen years and was faced with his own, de- own demons in- very early on in life. Getting stuck in a repeat cycle of addiction and crime was what delivered James into a life of debt, homelessness, and shame. The James before us today lacks any resemblance to the James you will hear about in this story. I personally have never known a man who so effortlessly lives a life of equal parts integrity and intensity. Faith, discipline, empathy, and accountability, those are the words that come to mind when we think of James. If James is here to teach us one thing, it is not to judge a book by its cover or a person by their past, and that masculinity and humility aren't mutually exclusive. Okay, that's actually three things. Buckle up, everyone, and please help me welcome to the studio today, my friend, James Arends. Welcome, James.
0: Well, thanks, Kim. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for joining us. Okay, so James has quite the story. And we have, I've taken six pages of notes. It's my record so far. And um, it was a crash course in James's life, which I have to say I haven't totally recovered from. So um, this is going to be fun reliving it all over again, especially for him, I'm sure. <laughs> um, we're going to start from the beginning. And I'm going to take you guys on a ride uh, of all of, of the colorful past that James had to get him to where he is now. Um, it is a story of. <sighs> It takes us through pain and tragedy to hope and um, inspiration and um, peace and all of the things that you would hope when you think of a happy ending um, to a fairly traumatic story. Uh, We're going to start with how you grew up, James. I want to, if you could tell us a little bit about that. I know you grew up in the Bay Area in Martinez around Concord, Walnut Creek area. And I know that you told me that. Um, You were born to alcoholic parents. They were unmarried at the time. And by about age three, you went into foster care. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And then you were there until your grandparents sort of rescued you and you were with them until about age seven. Um, Is that, am I right on with that? Yeah. Okay. All right, so we're gonna start from about there. Um, Take us back to when you were living with your grandparents, sort of how you were doing at that time when you were with them. Um, and what, what wound up transpiring when, um, you actually had to end up leaving.
0: Yeah. So, um, my grandparents raised me from about the age of about three to seven Mm -hmm. and, uh, they moved, they, they moved from, uh, Concord Walnut Creek area to San Jose, specifically Los Gatos, where they, uh they started their, uh, their home there in a family business, a, a, a local floral shop. Right. Um, so my grandmother was a florist. That was their, uh, their first business that they started. Um, and, uh, I grew up with, uh, in that shop. I grew up, uh, in San Jose, uh, with them. Uh, and they, you know, they, they knew the struggles that I had already came from, right, with the, uh, you know, the police being involved and being taken from my parents and, and put in foster homes or, uh, you know, asked for family members to come pick me up, you know, it was, I was such a young age, I didn't really understand what was going on. At that age, you just think that it's normal, right? Mm-hmm. It, just, it just seems like it's normal, you don't really understand what's really happening. Um, but I'm, I'd have to say like, after being, uh, that, that last time where my grandparents took, you know, took me in, um, you know, I remember sitting at the police station and the the police officers, we were at the police station. It was late at night. They couldn't get me into a foster home quick enough. And I remember sitting there in the police station with those, with those gentlemen, they took such good care of me, you know, they, they treated me so nicely, but, uh, like I had no idea where I was going to go. And then, you know, the system like where they place you, you I mean, you just get placed in, in some weird, yeah. weird home, you know. And um, I believe it was like in Pittsburgh or Antioch or, you know, some sort of uh, transitional foster home, mm-hmm. right, where I was going to sit and stay for a minute till they found me housing. And that was rough. And so my grandparents, I believe, you know, they, they coddled me a lot. They loved me a lot you know, I got a lot of love. I learned, I learned how to love my child and, and how to be a father through the way that my grandfather walked in life and was a man in society. And I, I, uh, I seen how my grandmother loved to cook and she loved to care for people. And she did that throughout her life. And so, um, I got a lot of good values from them in that time. Um, wow. it was, it was very rough transitioning out of there, um, and going to something new again.
1: So, um with this was your 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 mom's mother your grandma was your mom's mother was there would this I know that you know your grandparents took you in and then your mom when she got so because she didn't wind up getting sober she started going to AA um started waiting tables and trying to turn her life around and tried and then came back to to get you to to come back did that cause contention between her and her mom did you was there like a trust with your grandparents that she was ready to take care of you?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my my grandparents actually, you know, they changed my last name, um, you know, from Hanson to a Oh, and, uh, okay. you know, they they did that in the thoughts of, you know, like there there was no side of it where she was heading and what she was doing and and, you know, who she was with. Um, was was you know pretty pretty scary. There was there was a lot of things happening, so I don't think there was you know the understanding of this transpiring. But she did you know get herself into a program, she did get clean and sober. It's where she met my stepdad, it's where you know her life really started to come together for a moment, and it was really nice. Um, just I think I, I. I I never could ever get comfortable some spot. Like, it seemed like throughout life, it was a lot of, like things would be a certain way and then it'd get uncomfortable again and change and And so
1: it's almost like you lose trust yeah you can't trust anything that even starts to feel a little comfortable because it might be taken away
0: definitely definitely yeah I feel like uh maybe you know as we were going through the story and I'm I'm on my way here you know I was thinking like it's probably where I get my like gypsy spirit you know my gypsy spirit of being able to like pack up and go or or uh you know be able to do anything but I mean I wouldn't have uncovered that until like thinking of it in this in this context
1: well that's kind of the whole point of the podcast it's it's like our who we are really can be rooted back if we were to trace it back we really can try to we really can root back a lot of our characteristics um, I feel like um, if somebody wanted to um, so I know so your mom your mom got sober she was in the program she remarried she was waiting tables she got custody of you Um, You were never quite comfortable anywhere besides your grandparents' house, but you you did wind up staying with your mom. um, But you did uh, also wind up having some sort of some developmental delays and dyslexia, ADHD, things like that around that time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: That's, you know, uh, so I was... <clears throat> I was a little bit of a rambunctious kid. You know, I, uh, I definitely had hyperactivity disorder, ADHD. I mean, these are all, these are all new things right in the nineties. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, we're, you know, grown up in the nineties, like all of this is still coming about. It's still being discovered. Um, and you know, I just had, I had a, a you know, a pretty, pretty hard, like attention span. My attention span yeah. was, was, you know, uh, it it's a great asset today, but when it was, when I was younger and trying to sit down and pay attention, it was not so much. Um,
1: well, I think sometimes too when our central when we're so young and we're, our brains aren't even developed yet, and our central nervous system is literally rocked out of place almost by our life gets uprooted and twisted 180 degrees. I think anybody at that point, their developmental process is going to be compromised. I mean, I just yeah. do. I think if you look back at you know people we know who have sort of been through something like that, a lot of them have a similar story. So it's it's not surprising. I don't think, but you're right. There is a little bit of an asset to it as, as you get older. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, there was some there was some trouble there. You know, like I, I'm the I'm the kind of kid that that was told. Uh, you know, he's going to have learning disabilities throughout his life. Um, you know, he's dyslexic. Uh, you know, he has a hard time trying to figure out how to tie his shoes. We're in second grade, we're going to hold him back. Right. And, uh, we're going to put him in special classes. And so like, you know, here I am, I'm getting separated from the class now, right? Okay. Like I've got to go to a different class, you know? Um, you know, but uh, like it, it never, it never stopped me in sports. It never stopped me from being athletic. But as yeah,
1: because you said you were more, much more like mechanically inclined and athletic, and it was yeah. So there was all these, you had, you had a lot of strengths in just these other areas. But the focus was more on your. Um, on where you were at developmentally. It sounds like, but, with the school and everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, my, my grandparents really, um, you know, they really, they really poured into that, you know, I would, I would say kind of coddled, but they, you know, they had a, they had a different type of get down with it. You know, um, they could see what I had gone through and what was happening to me and chose to really push towards the things that I was, um, excelling at, Mm -hmm. right. Whether it be sports or, um, you know, uh, you know, Lego connects or something like that to where, um, it was, it was still giving me that, um, that positive, uh, reinforcement of like being able to accomplish or build things or do stuff. Um, they, they helped me in a very loving way. They were very soft. They were very loving. Um, you know hence to the the other side of things it was very you know it was very brash rough, yeah yeah, it's very rough
1: so certain things like yeah it's it's interesting how some things just come more naturally to others like there are some kids that cannot figure out Legos for anything but they're tremendous readers and then yeah. it's like vice versa so no two are ever obviously created equal um or yeah um so your father I know um he ended up sort of being in and out of prison, he had DUIs, assault charges, things of that nature, and your mom um, was working nights, and so you were sort of left to take care of yourself, and so there was a lot of, like, playing in the streets and sort of getting into, like, trouble with break-ins and things like that. Tell us a little about that. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, um, I grew up in, like, Walnut Creek, Concord area, Um, you know, it was... Uh, you know, we lived in a, you know, a lower, lower budget neighborhood. It was a little bit tighter, you know, com- condos and complexes. And, um, you know, there's a lot of kids in the street. There's a lot of kids in the neighborhood. Um, and, uh, there wasn't really much else to do, you know, it's different than today. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, you wanted to have a bicycle, um, you know, all the kids had little pocket knives, you know, um, it was, uh, you know, it was just, you know, just having fun getting so, into trouble, you know, mm-hmm. it was, uh, you know that's that's just that's just kind of where it was at it it seems like a lifetime ago but um,
1: yeah, I mean it was a different world back then. I mean, not a, I mean it was a different area than obviously what we're living in now. You and I both, but it, and our kids, but also it was just a different world, different time. Like we raised ourselves. It's yeah, so funny. Yeah,
0: yeah but yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember like riding my bike and making my own ramps. And I remember sitting in the back of the Cutlass of my mom and my stepdad's Cutlass. You know, it was primer gray, no seatbelts on, watching both parents smoke cigarettes with the windows <laughs> down. You know, and it was just I. I remember listening to like Metallica and ACDC. You know, and yeah. and the speakers were so loud, and it was like, were, you know, it's so kids funny. were kids were just raised a little rougher than I know, and know. then like
1: there's even in the worst of place. Well, I shouldn't say that, but nobody I is being raised like that. Let's just put it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you did get into a little bit of trouble, and so that's kind of when it all began. And I know that around like uh when you were like ten or eleven, that's when your first brother was born, and that sort of. Sp- Kicked things off. I'm guessing, like with your stepdad, and where he was, you know, a much more, much harder on you, and um, in in academically, and also too with even the little stuff, like when you didn't finish your meal, would would make you like, tell us about that. Yeah, I'm not yeah, going to pretend you know, I don't it's, understand it's,
0: it. It's kind of, it's kind of a trip. Yeah. Like as, as I'm, as I'm, you know, I've said it to you and kind of like hearing you repeat it back, you know, like it, it really was that, you know, I had two younger brothers, mm-hmm. uh, they were born at separate times and I was the oldest out of all, you know, out of them. And, um, like, I just remember getting like the, the most brutal punishment, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, it, sounds like. It, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, you know, everything was done by the book and everything had to be finished. Everything that I started had to be finished. It started out with the meals. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm like 11 years old. I've never had a full steak dinner or full chicken dinner. Um, you know, it seems silly talking about it today. Cause there's so many people that don't have any, yeah. but like my parents would like you know, put that in me. Like, you didn't finish your meal. You're you're not leaving until you finish your plate. Like, how did I remember, that go for you? I remember sitting in the corner a lot. Like, yeah. I remember sitting in the corner a lot. Like, my little stomach just couldn't. You know, couldn't. No, do and you it. were
1: the way you describe yourself back then too. In our previous conversation, you were a little guy. Oh, it it's a little not guy. like you're this yeah. big, strapping. No. You know,
0: no, I was a little guy. I've been yeah. I've been a little guy for most of my life. Yeah. So yeah, you that's know. funny. Um. Yeah. So did
1: you? Did did you? Was it a battle of wills, or did you? Were you? Um. Um, did you obey? Like what was the, what was your, yeah?
0: Root? no, I mean, you know, I, I was, I was at a uh, constant, constant ends with him. Like I was, I was always at, um, some, you know, we were, we were always engaged in some sort of, uh, conflict, conflict. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So whether it was the meals or I was the one to pick up the dog, you know, do do, yeah. or I was the one to pull the weeds like throughout life. Like I was the one who had to mow the lawn, pick up the dog, you know, mm-hmm. who. uh, you know, there was just, there was a lot of, there was a lot that was pointed at me for some odd reason. Yeah. Well, he was harder on you. Yeah. I'm not sure why, because my, my younger brothers, they had the same environment Mm -hmm. per se, even more to do so when, when they purchased and, and had a house and so it's just, they never, they never got that. But, yeah. you know, we're also, if I look back at my, me and my brothers, we're, we're all very different. Right. You know, we all operate very differently. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's kind of a trip now.
1: That is. Yeah. And, um, you said that you went on to, we didn't really talk too much about this, but you said that you went on to sort of get involved in the teen center. Um, but or also around that time, your, um, your parents were both abusive. You said your mom and your stepdad. And you want to talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I don't. I don't think it's really uh, seen today. You know, but uh, no. You know, it's it's really not. You know, um, you know, we were wild boys, right? Yeah. Like like me and my brothers, we were rambunctious wild boys. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, we didn't have nothing to pacify us like tablets or entertainment. I mean, Nintendo had just came out. Um, things like that, but it was it was outside, and I mean, we were getting in trouble. We were we were we were doing trouble things, and so like when you'd get in trouble, you were you were going to get a whooping, you know. <laughs> and,
1: and and by the way, they 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 did this sober. Yeah. I mean, I know that oh, yeah. both wise, but sober. Oh, it yeah. wasn't as if it was alcohol infused beatings no, at no, this no, time. No, no, this yeah.
0: wasn't, no, this wasn't, this, this was just good old fashioned. And he beat you with a belt. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, re- <sighs> I think it was, I think I had like came to school with something in my backpack. I got suspended from school. It wasn't really a big deal. Uh-oh. Um, you know, I think it was like, maybe like a pocket knife or something in my backpack. They found it, they suspended me, but like, I remember you know getting that whooping and like it was it was no joke you know uh this like this a grown 200 plus pound you know man uh putting the fear of God in you and like you know uh was it was it uh was it called for for that situation I don't the punishment did not fit the crime yeah (laughs) I don't think so uh was he doing the best that he knew how probably so you know um
1: well, it was probably how he was raised. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, it was probably how he was raised or, or you know, what he thought uh, boys should be raised like.
1: Yeah, I mean, also, too, that was, it was so different back then. Um, what was considered normal and um, traditional, you never hear about now. And um, it really takes somebody to break the cycle. I mean, I've known... Um, generations of men who sort of passed down either um domestic violence or abusive child abuse or whatever or addiction and then it just takes one to sort of break that cycle and then but it is it, we tend to behave the way our parents behaved so yeah, yeah. that's probably how his parents um yeah. raised him
0: <clears throat> and to contrast on that my 11 year old daughter i've never i've never had to spank her i've, yeah. I've maybe swatted her once when yeah. she was banging on a glass door just as a like no no pay mm-hmm. attention and uh, instantly, you know, it brought her to tears. Like, yeah. I've, I've only had to kind of raise my voice and only in a way of maybe she was going to injure herself or something. I
1: do think there's more of an awareness now, too. I think our parents, um, they, it's like it wasn't a big deal back then. It just, I mean, most kids I knew were spanked at the very minimum and beat with a belt, you know, in more severe cases or worse even. Um, but... It was much more normal back then now that happens cps gets called. yeah yeah <laughs> you go to i yeah. mean at school like yeah back then people go to school with bruises and no one even said anything um okay so let's talk a little bit about um well i want to i'm hmm, i'm trying i'm trying to figure out where i should go next <laughs> so um you you did end up moving from Martinez to Oakley and where that's where you ended up staying for the remainder of your elementary school years, your middle school and high school. Um your youngest brother was born around age when you're around thirteen to fifteen. but you were smoking weed by thirteen, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. so um and I'm okay, well, we we'll, we're gonna circle back to that. but upon and then with in middle school, that's sort of when it kind of kicked off this little streak of uh, crime streak um i don't know what to call it um you robbed the school vending machine yeah and you started running a cartel
0: yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, basically. Well, I hate I like, to laugh, like, but I just like, pictured James, yeah, like, like un- unknowingly, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, I had uh, I had made it some you know made some local connections at the local uh, cellular pager shop, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I had I had gone down there and and you know hooked up with some some pagers and some Nokia cell phones, you know, when those first came out. And, uh, yeah, there was, um, you know, uh, everybody kind of knew like, these were all, these were all pretty decent, good kids. You know, I was kind of the lone wolf, you yeah. know, uh, I skateboarded, you know, I, I did kind of, you know, uh, BMX and some different stuff. And I was just kind of always like renegade and wild. Right. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, when the opportunity presented itself, there was the discussion of like, Hey, you know, all, all of us, you know, that are in the P center are, like, you know, we're gonna, we're, we, we count all the money for the vending machines, you mm-hmm. know, we have access to all of that. And so I'm not really sure how it all started, but I ended up in the middle of all of that. Oh my gosh. And. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But they found out, right? Uh, case.
0: they, they found out, you know, yeah, they, I think they tracked everybody with cell phones and pagers in middle school, you know, yeah. to, you know, they, they realized numbers were down, uh, you know, profits were down and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was crazy. Um, not sure how, how it all came about, but it seemed like there was, you know, there was always that, there was always that, um, you know, it was always knocking at my door, Yeah. you know, like it it was, it was so easy to find my way into trouble. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it was so easy, whether it was, you know, someone had the idea and I was going to be the fall guy or whatever that was, you know, I was like, I was always surrounded by those negative things.
1: Yeah. And I wonder, do you feel like that you didn't really have that compass at home that like sort of the compass that sort of, you know, it has you, um, has your, Oh, how do I do, you know, you know I'm trying to say. Yeah, 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 absolutely. There
0: was, there was no, you know, absolutely. 100%. There was no, there was no lessons of integrity. There was no, um, you know, like true lessons of like your internal feelings and you you know, you know, what's good and what's wrong, you know, or what's what's bad and what's good or what's right. wrong and what's right. Like, right. there was no breakdown of that. Yeah. There was when you made a mistake, you were going to get confronted. You know, yeah. when you messed up, you were going to get disciplined. So th- know? No, there
1: was no proactiveness. It was all reactiveness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There,
0: exactly, exactly.
1: Which sucks, especially for a kid, because sometimes kids can cannot predict their consequences. And so that's the role of the parent, yeah. you know, to to raise them with that moral compass and to be their, their North star, so to speak. And, um, so, and that is when you find that kids start having to learn the hard way cause they're raising themselves. Yeah. They have to learn yeah. the hard way. They have to keep you know, screwing up and learning the lesson, screwing up and learning. And sometimes you have to repeat the lesson over and over yeah, uh, before you learn from I it. I mean,
0: especially a kid with a learning disability at yeah. that, right? So I learned a lot of things the hard way, right. you know, and, I know. <laughs> uh, you know, I lived a fast life, very fast and in many different ways. And, and it, uh, you know, it just was rough like that. It yeah. was really rough like that.
1: Yeah. So you go, that was when you were on your way out of middle school, the vending machine incident. And, but then you, going into high school, you said you started hanging out with a more laid back crowd, more hipster crowd. You're break dancing and making music, and you really enjoyed hip hop and kind of wanted to be a rapper. And, um, and bef- the summer before ninth grade is when you started getting into wrestling. And at 15, you made the wrestling team at 98 pounds and you lettered in varsity your freshman. In sophomore and going into your junior year? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So things kind of started to turn around a bit. I think you were still um, leaned into trouble a bit, but you did have some stuff starting to go for you.
0: Yeah. You know, I had, what I had found when I look back at that, like when I see it, I had f- I had found a character of men Mm -hmm. that actually had that honor, respect, dignity, pride.
1: Within wrestling or where did you? Within
0: wrestling, yeah, within the coaches, right? Mm -hmm. The coaches, um, you know, and the coaches saw me and for the first time, you know, someone had saw something in me, right? Mm -hmm. Which I had never been told at all in my life, right? Um, and wrestling, you know, 98 pounds wrestling, you know, 103s, 112s, and 119s, and varsity lettering in that, right? Um, I could jump those three weight brackets and still, you know, compete. Yeah, um, that's, was, that's was, incredible. Was good, you know, and I, uh, you know, those, those men in there changed my life, you know, they... Like the, the lessons that they taught me and the physical training that went on in that room has stayed with me for the, like my remainder of my life, you know, and knowing like the pressure of it and the stress of it. And the, um, you know, I just remember those, those guys, like, you know, they, they were, they were good men. They were good men. And
1: yeah i actually think wrestling i I happen to think wrestling is one of the most undervalued high school sports i do i think that it is um it gets um overlooked a lot because it's not one of those it's not a game sport you know friday night you know game kind of thing and it's an all-day tournaments on saturdays and you know my son wrestled so i'm super familiar with it and i'm very familiar with the conditioning the conditioning is rough It, it will change a person it will humble a person right i mean they turn on the heater And they put you through. I mean, it's militant. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was, it was probably the, you know, it was the, the toughest training at that age that I've ever come across. Like I've played soccer in the heat. I've played baseball in the heat, but nothing to the point where you've got, you know, you've got literal, you know, water, sweat dripping off the lights in the ceiling and it's hard conditioning nonstop for the whole remainder of that conditioning. Yeah. Um, it was like wrestling and hot yoga. Like that's, yeah. the, that's the, that's the best thing I could I could say, you know, and there's, you know, there's no, there's no picking who you're going to wrestle. And then at any given moment, the coach could see you getting cocky or arrogant and he's going to come, you know, he's going to, he's going to teach you yeah. something too. So
1: it's almost like they break you down to build you back up. I do remember when Jordan was in, it, cause he was in it, for three or four years and, um, they started the season, there'd be you know a big group of guys. And then it would dwindle, 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 because mm-hmm. some guys just couldn't hack it, you no, know? No, it, it, the retention was... It-
0: Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's really, you know, there's not much there. There's not a team. There's not really anybody to blame. Like if you didn't make weight, it's your fault. You know, um, there was a lot of self-reflection. There was a lot of, if I'm going to compete, if I've got to be my best self in that. And I didn't even know these things as Mm -hmm. it was happening. Right. Is like, you know, if you, it's the battle inside yourself. Like I learned that at an early age, I didn't even really learn it. I was, it was distilled in me.
1: Right. Um. Yeah, I wonder if that's sort of the beginning of when sort of your your compass started to sort of reveal itself that would later on in life when things came full circle that you sort of had to fall back on because obviously things continue to kind of go down a rougher road, but at that point, at least you did have a point of reference of this is what it feels like to be good at something. This is what it feels like to have honorable men or what this, what they look like. Yeah. And yeah. And good you know,
0: I I think I was, you know, I was, I was pushed into it because I needed something. I was getting into a lot of trouble at that age. I was going into high school. Um, there was, you know, there was that, and there was the Naval Sea Academy. And mm-hmm. The Naval Sea Academy was basically like mini Marines, mini Navy SEALs, militant boot camp, the same thing that you would get at like an advanced Boy Scout level. Right. And uh, they actually took us to Camp Pendleton for um, for a month, and we had to live that military life for a month mm-hmm. of basic training. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a, there, there was actually an article in the newspaper, like, here, here's this bad kid, like getting into a lot of trouble. I was the leader and the guide on the smallest kid in the group. And I was the one who carried the flag and led the group, you know, within the first week I had made my stride to the front you know um but not not really knowing that just having those leader traits which i had no idea of i was just kind of i I was i think i was portraying like what i desired the most like what i wanted right Right. was just structure balance Mm -hmm. uh you know maybe love or just some sort of guidance or some sort of structure probably was the best right in in like uh, a militant fashion i could i could you know i could see that
1: yeah yeah okay um I want to jump to the incident that happened. I think you said, I think this was going into your junior year and this is kind of when things started to take a turn. Um, there was somebody that you went to school with who was a little rougher and he convinced you to steal a purse at one of the wrestling meets. And, um, that is sort of what brought your wrestling career to an end. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, no matter what, man, like the, you know, you have those decisions in life, right? Mm -hmm. And, and here I am again, based on the decision without the understanding of like, uh, in, you know, I don't know what integrity is. Um, I, I don't, I can't really measure the ramifications of what would transpire if we do do this. Um, and, and there was like really no need for it. It was more along like, Hey, we should, you know, we, we should do this. We can do this. And, um, you know, once again, like I got caught, I got caught in a, uh, I got caught into like somebody else's desire to do something bad. Yeah probably for their own benefit and i'm the fall guy yeah you know
1: yeah and it got obviously the coaches got wind of it and what did they do
0: oh yeah they oh yeah it was uh it was the worst wrestling training day and the last that I ever had. And so, um, you know, I was hoping before all of this, like I was hoping, man, you know, if I can make it through high school, like maybe I'd have a scholarship. I got no other promises of college other than this, like right. this would be the only way that I get to go to college from where our background is. And so, um, I remember going in there training, the coaches had, you know, they had re- retrieved what happened at the meet. They had put everything together. Uh, they knew that it was f- someone from our team. And so they unleashed hell upon the team in that room and until someone was going to come forward and it wasn't long, I realized I had to stand up and like own it. Because I, why? I, I just, I, I couldn't bear to see those other men inside that room pay for what I had done. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, it, it, it didn't fall okay in my, in my soul. Right? right. And so like I stood up, I took it. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I took that without, without throwing anybody else under Mm -hmm. without throwing out the, uh, the other kid, I, I didn't even say anything about the other person that originally it was his idea and, and he pushed it. I just left it be what it is. I took my beating Yeah, and, uh, I remember wrestling every single man and, and woman in that room, even the coaches and, uh, I mean, it was rough. I mean, you know, some of the coaches, the coaches were, you know, 200 pounds. uh, One was, you know, 250. I mean, they, uh, they put the fear of God in me. You know, Uh, I definitely realized at that moment, the ramification of my actions Mm -hmm. and what it had done, but more than anything. I disappointed the men that I looked up to Mm -hmm. and that hurt more than the beatings did, you know, more than, more than anything that that happened in that room. I think it weighed heavier on my, on my soul. And I think that was probably a big part of why I just, I kind of pushed out of, out of that school, you know, after that and kind of changed my focus. It was like, all right, you know, there, there goes that.
1: Yeah. It's almost like you sort of left all of that behind and you sort of were defeated, you know, um, you lost the one thing that was, that brought so much value into your life. And it was like, after that, you, um, sort of got, you said you, you got into dealing weed, um, Coke. And by, by 16, you were living on the streets because your parents relapsed started drinking again. Mm -hmm. And there was domestic abuse at home. They were, I think, as you put it, beating the shit out of each other
0: yeah yeah
1: and you had to um by 16 you were living on your own in an apartment you rented a room from somebody working at jack-in-the-box and you were riding a a moped and between jack-in-the-box and selling weed and you did your junior year on independent study um that's how you that's how you wrote out the rest of high school
0: Yeah. 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 I, I, I I pushed myself. I got a, you know, I got a tutor who actually cared about me graduating more than I did. Yeah. uh, Because, you know, at this point, you know, like there was no dreams or aspirations or college happening. There was no music career or dance career going to be happening. Um, You know, it was, you know, you, you know, my, my parents had, had told me, you know, at an early age, my mom had told me, you know, like, Hey, uh, you're, you're never going to make money at that. You should just be a construction worker. You should just be uh, a laborer like your stepdad. And that's, you know, that's going to be a good lot for you in life. And did so did you
1: have, I'm just quite, because I know, I, spoiler alert, he he is a very, very talented, um, I don't know what's laborer. Is that the word? I don't know. What do we call, what do we call someone who knows that knows how to fix and put together and disassemble? Anyway, James is really good at all that stuff. We love him for that. But did you ever, Uh, because you had this proclivity for knowing you were such a natural at that. When she said that, did it ever enter your mind that, yeah, maybe that is something I want to do?
0: No, no, No. not, not really. I mean, but then at that age too, it's like, I didn't, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, but you knew
1: what you, you knew the hobbies you enjoyed and
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I had a taste of that military life from the Naval Academy and that was appealing to me. Um, I could get, I could get down with that. I felt like it had the, it had the same dynamics as wrestling as well. Yeah. um but i didn't know i you know i had I, at an early age i had an, an obsession with cars and motorcycles and things that were fast and loud and and so you know i loved working on those things whenever i could come across a motorcycle that was broke or i could get it for a deal like mm-hmm. i really enjoyed that um yeah. you know uh
1: well your mom i'm guessing your mom she knew a little bit about it because your dad was in it and also too she knew that you were probably now a natural at it and that's why she was pushing you towards it i mean it's funny because back then parents it was never like teach your dreams it was like this go get a good job you know with benefits and union
0: (laughs) yeah yeah no it was uh you know it wasn't um it wasn't a choice you know it wasn't wasn't a choice and it it, uh i remember at that age you know when i had done some you know soul searching um You know, because today, you know, I've looked at things that are my passion and what, you know, light my soul on fire. Right. And I remember that as a kid, like I remember going through and hearing my parents tell me that, like, it wasn't like you could grow up and be anything you put your mind. There was none of that talk. Yeah. There was none of that talk. It was like, you need to be realistic, you know? And so I remember that fire in my heart that we all have as kids growing up wanting to be a firefighter, you know, doctor or nurse or whatever it is. I remember that being like completely diminished. Like that was not going to happen for you, right. you know, that, that wasn't, that's not where we came from, yeah, you know, um, that's not where you were going, you know, right. was being told to me. I was like, wow. I mean, like I look back at it, she's probably just trying to set me up for success probably. in her own way. But I mean, it's like, I've never told my daughter that, you know, yeah. I've never, I've, I would never tell a kid that. Um, you know, today I live a life where I, like, I couldn't tell you to become whatever you want unless you could see me walk that, Yeah, you know? And so it was, you know, it was, it was perplexing. It was confusing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't get it, but that was like, that was ingrained in my mind, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're, you're only going to be as good as that. Yeah. You're going to be a construction worker. You're gonna be a laborer, you're gonna work in the union, and that's it. And mm-hmm. and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, there's nothing wrong with that law in life. Mm-hmm. Um but I just I had so much more desire like I've I I always I always knew there was some sort of fire, some sort of uh, calling for me in my life. Yeah, I just didn't know what it was.
1: Well, I think you're just by nature a very passionate person, and you do well when you work with people. And so, you know, or entertain. I can imagine you'd be a good entertainer as well. Um, so, even though you're, you have a natural ability with mechanical things um it doesn't mean like I actually talked about this in my trailer that um I just because you're good at something like I'm good at staging I'm good at decorating I'm not passionate about it though yeah yeah like i don't love to decorate i'm just i just happen to be good at it so just because we're good at something doesn't mean we necessarily are passionate about it and and um and want to do that for the rest of our lives so that totally um, resonates with me but by the time so at 17 you started working at old school auto works and um at we'll talk about that a little bit but at, 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 at 18 you had joined the, labor, the laborers union mm-hmm. um, but when you're working at old school auto works you met an interesting character and got involved in an interesting transaction yeah, yeah. i don't know why i kind of chuckle at each thing. it's just the, the longer the story goes along the more it's 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 a crazy story so okay
0: yeah it's it you know as you can see like life life travels in and then we've get these these real hard quick learning lessons for me right mm-hmm. like like uh, I call them billboards now like I like I asked God to give me a sign and I, I call them billboards now yes. so this is another billboard moment where um, you know me, uh, thinking that I could be involved in this, you know, uh, lifestyle of, you know, selling narcotics and, and doing all this stuff, you know, selling weed A narcotics sounds pretty bad, but, you know, selling weed and, and, uh, you know, m- making an income doing that, uh, you know, while, while working these, these jobs that I had. Right. And so, yeah, I got, I got wrapped up with the, the, the same, you know, the wrong individuals. Um, I had, you know, I had come across someone who had the, you know, the amounts of, you know, product that we needed at the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, maybe it was my time to level up. I don't know, you know, um, and, uh, it went horribly wrong, you know, (laughs) it went horribly wrong. And so like, that was probably one of the last times, uh, in my life that I had, like i had always imagined that it was going to be this kind of gangster lifestyle until it started getting really gangster yes and uh when you've got a you know a mac 10 in your face um things start to change for you especially when you're in you know 18 years old 17 18 years old and so um i remember having that gun in my face going what am i doing here What am I, what, what, what is going on? Like, like, why is this happening?
1: So basically just to paint the picture, there was a drug deal set up for a a large amount of money, like $3,500 at the time, which it's still a lot of money. But back then it was a lot of money. Um, They show up to buy, in air quotes, I'm saying the drugs, and they hand you a bag of shredded paper and put a gun in your face. They take off with the drugs and you're on the hook for.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm on, I'm on the hook. I'm on the hook. Uh, you know, I'm on the hook for the whole deal. Right. I'm on the hook for the whole deal. And these are individuals that you don't, uh, you you don't, you don't mess with. Right. And so they're a gang uh,
1: basically. Right.
0: Uh, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, I mean, they're bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah. They're, um, you know, there was no reason for them to be doing anything with me whatsoever Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was, it was a favor that went wrong, you know, and it was, you know, so like I shouldn't even have been involved in any of this. I don't know how I got myself involved in it, but I, I, I tend to, uh, you know, I tend to do that. So, yeah, yeah. So I got, I got, I got me and, you know, two other grown men with probably families that have probably never dealt with any weird stuff like this before. They probably got easy business dealings because they stick to a, a fold of people that they, they know. Yeah. And here I am putting everybody's life at risk. I mean, that was what that was what I walked away from. Like, oh my gosh. Like the same thing that happened to wrestling. Like here I am, you know, people putting out for me, you know, mm-hmm. putting themselves out for me and I'm putting them in danger or I'm putting them at risk. Or right. I'm uh, you know, I just I remember that like, man, you know, just made me a little bit smaller. Yeah. You know, a little bit smaller and a little and, and it was a it was a quick realization of like this is the game that you're in. Yeah. This is the game that you're in. And, um, you know, you go forward a couple of years and it was like, you slowly started to see everybody that was in there. It was like jails, institution, death, uh, you name it. It was like friend here, friend there. Uh, It just started falling. You just start seeing people fall away. You start people seeing falling away and going away. And like, that was it.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting too. Like when we were talking about earlier, how, you know, we have to learn from these, learn the hard way, learn these lessons the hard way. And if you don't learn the lesson the first time, it will come around the second time and and keep, I tell my kids this too, keep repeating itself till you learn the lesson. And each um, subsequent time that lesson comes along, the stakes get higher and higher and higher. So the wrestling incident happened, didn't quite learn the lesson there. The drug deal incident happened, stakes are higher now. Yeah. and didn't quite learn it there either. You you went on to it, it. scared you, but you went on to get a job working on the Martinez Bridge. Around eighteen to twenty one, you say you have no memory at all of those years. Um, you were on pills, oxy, oxycontin. I think it's called. Is that I yeah? Know, there's so many oxys. Yeah, yeah. Cocaine, mushrooms. Um, you described yourself as totally fearless and broke. You know, self-destructive, putting yourself in dangerous situations and um that's kind of the first time you had the idea to get sober and you were you were in your first long-term relationship and the parents of that girl kind of took you in, tried to clean you up and yeah went to tahoe tried to detox and then we and then we get caught in right after you turn 18 in another situation
0: yeah yeah exactly yeah so um you know it uh There's, there's, it's, it's a hard place to find traction when you don't, you don't have anybody to depend on. Yeah. You don't have anybody to depend on and you don't like, what was I going to do?
1: That's all for part one of this episode. The story continues in part two and is available now.